Okay, at this time, I'm going to read the word. S excuse me. Sorry. Okay, if we could all stand for the reading of God's word. So today we are in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, impurity debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, it's so good to see everybody this morning. Um, before I begin to expound on this passage of Scripture, um, and apply it to our lives, I wanted to remind you all, on, on your way in, you should have gotten um, an invite card, or if you didn't, you'll get one on the way out. You'll see Dave, he's in the Hawaiian shirt, um, and he's going to um, give you a card, because on July 22nd um, and July 25th, uh, excuse me, July 22nd and August 5th, we're doing, uh, we're working with the Parks and Recreation Department in Warren, we're going to have a community, community event, and many of you have signed up to help. Um, if you didn't sign up to help and you want to just come and enjoy the night, it's going to be a lot of fun, and um, that card will give you information. Remember, we, we want to serve our community, show them acts of kindness, love, and generosity so that we can speak Christ into their lives as well. You know, so I hope that you can, we can all be there. Bring your kids. There's going to be a, a child-friendly movie that starts at 8.30. At 6.30, um, it opens up um, to the general public. We'll have our bounce houses there like we have at different events and stuff, and it's going to be a lot of fun, so I hope that you can come. Um, if you're like me and you're going to forget this 30 seconds after I say it, Dave is not going to forget. And he's going to grab you um, at the end. He's going to have those cards at, at, um, at the door when you leave. Okay? And also, um, our cookout, our church, our, our, well, we're, what we're calling our welcome back service, is going to happen next Sunday, so one week for today, from today. And it's going to be a blast. I hope that you can all come, invite somebody. Um, we sent out mailers, um, and we, uh, we sent out emails just to encourage people to remember how powerful it is to meet together in person, and not just online, but in person, real life, flesh and blood, community relationships that scripture tells us to, to hear the word of God together as we gather in the Lord's day. So, so COVID is sort of slowing down, and regulations are starting to loosen, so we want to enjoy this day together um, so I, we hope that you can come. Just by a, a bit of clarification, um, the church is providing um, the cookout food. 
Okay, so we're going to have deli pizza and hot dogs. It is not a potluck. Um, so if you had it in your minds that you're going to bring something and everyone was going to share it, that's not the nature of this, okay? So pretty much the church is feeding you. And if you notice on our invite, you'll, you'll, you might have noticed that like, hey, if, if our diet is, just doesn't suit your preferences, we hope that you can still come but maybe pack a lunch, right? So, um, but just, I know there might have been some confusion on that. It's not, it's not a potluck, so um, it's just a, um, we are having a couple of people prepare some food and we can enjoy it together. And again, if that's not your preference, maybe just bag a lunch and we can hang out and have some fun. We got some, we're gonna have the bounce houses here and, um, and my, my darling wife has prepared some fun games that we will beat you at. Um, I think some potato sack races, things like that. You know, so um, I hope, I hope um, that you can come. I, t I, I did say that if it was a three-legged race, then I choose Bill, right? Um, because he is so used to walking on one leg He's going to win that one, right? <laughs> Was that inappropriate? I said it. It's, it's too late. It's out there. <laughs> All right. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. You, you might have noticed, uh, you might remember, excuse me, a few weeks ago, I had said that um, we, part of the way that I normally preach on Sunday is to go through systematically a book in the Bible. Um, so from start to finish. And I said the reason for it is there are subjects that, that Scripture deals with that we wouldn't just normally choose to talk about. And if you noticed, this included one of them. <laughs> there, are, there are things that we just say, like, not on Sunday morning or maybe just not ever, right? Um, but this is why we do it, because all of Scripture is inspired by God. It has something to teach us, ways in which we can grow and become more like our dear Savior. Um, so I hope that this morning service is an encouragement to you. There's a series of well-known parables that Jesus spoke about the... Wow. That was Jesus being like, yes, I did. I did speak them. Um, there's, there's a series of well-known parables of Jesus about the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of Matthew. The, ki the kingdom of heaven is like this. Do you guys recall this if you're somewhat familiar with the word of God and have been reading it for a while? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins to explain a little bit about what he means by the kingdom and what it is like. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and some seed fell along the hard soil and then the rocks and so on, right? But he said other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It's a good day for a farmer, right? Um, he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he also taught um, in Matthew chapter 13, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Remember this one? Which a man took and planted in his field, and though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And finally, he said that the kingdom of heaven is also like a net that was let, let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of abundance of fish. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, is abundant fruit. At the end of these parables, Jesus looks around as he kind of normally does with his disciples, and he says, do you get it? And a lot of times they're just pretending like they know what, they, what he's talking about and are looking. You know, my, my word that I use when I don't really know what's going on is I, I'll say the word interesting. 
So next time I say that in a conversation with you, with you all, you'll know that I'm, I was probably thinking about something else. Um, <laughs> interesting. Um, theologians over the centuries have speculated to the exact nature of what Jesus was referring to in these parables, you know, like abundance of crops and a large tree from a small seed. Um, some people have speculated that he was talking about himself, right? He was born in a manger, like that small insignificant seed, born in a manger, born, born into poverty, yet he died and was resurrected again, and he's the king of the universe, so now he's that large tree. So some people have speculated that Christ is the kingdom of heaven is referring to Christ himself. Other people say it's referring to his return. So you know in scripture, the Bible says Christ died for sins. He rose again to make us right with God, and then he appeared to his apostles, then ascended to heaven. So right now, scripture teaches that Christ is in heaven preparing a place for us, among other things. But scripture says he's coming back, and what does he do when he comes back? He fixes everything that is just junked up with this world. He sets everything to right, right? So some people say that's what he's talking about here, the, the kingdom of heaven is the return of Christ. But others suggest that the kingdom of heaven that's being referred to is a sort of, of, of kingdom sort of saturation that happens slowly into all of us upon faith in Jesus. So it begins with the faith in Jesus Christ, his king, the, the spirit kingdom occupation, his will is in our hearts. And as we grow, it grows into a big tree, you see? So his king, so in other words, the power of Jesus' kingdom setting the world into rights begins here and it progresses with the return of Christ. Does that make sense? So, the, so these are the different sort of ideas of what Jesus might have meant when he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. I want to focus, I think, honestly, I think the, ki the kingdom of heaven is a multifaceted thing and I think it means all of this. Um, but I want to focus on this last part. For our purpose this morning, I want to focus on how the gospel, which we have talked about, is that it is salvation by Jesus' death on the cross, plus nothing that we can add to it. It is sheer grace and unconditional love. So that I, want, I want to focus on how the gospel of Jesus Christ's grace brings the ruling kingdom of King Jesus right now into our lives and transforms us slowly, slowly, but it grows us. It begins as a mustard seed with a first move of trust in Christ as Savior, plus nothing else. He saves me. And then it begins to transform us into the largest of trees, and sometimes in hard ways. Isn't that true? Sometimes we begin to be transformed by loss and by trial and by suffering. But in the midst of suffering, you will help us sing, rejoice. So this morning, I want to look at the conflict between the flesh and the spirit, what this means, how the kingdom is brought about through this conflict, what the works of the flesh are, and in a couple of weeks, next week we have a special service, but in a couple of weeks, we'll pick up with what um, the victory of the Holy Spirit means and looks like. So let's look at the conflict first, the fact of the conflict that you and I all experience if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. First of all, I should just say, this gives us hope that if we think that we have to 
gratify the desires of the flesh, then we are deceived. The Bible has given us a way to live holy lives. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying we all don't struggle with it, but I am saying that it is possible. You do not have to be a slave to sin, a slave to negative emotions, a slave to anxiety or depression. You can have the victory in Christ. So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Bible teaches that the moment anyone puts their faith in Christ, plus nothing for their salvation, that they are instantly, now imagine this, this is beautiful, they are instantly, that moment, permanently forgiven of all past, present, and future sin. They are instantly, in that moment, adopted into God's family as one of their own children. They are instantly made right with God, reconciled with God, because of the work of Christ and faith in it. And, imagine this one, they are held secure by the preserving love of the Father, so that they can never lose what has been given to them. They are secure. The Bible says that these have been, have you heard this term, born again, John chapter 3. And it also says that they are, they have been, their bodies have become temples of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are born again. The moment you put faith in Jesus, you are born again, and you are given the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart, the presence of God in your body. Okay? Something upon faith in Christ, something in us, in our hearts, comes alive. Scripture says before faith in Jesus, we didn't see any of this. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins in Ephesians 2.1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says not only were we, were we dead, but we were blind. We couldn't see any of this. We couldn't see who Christ was, our need for salvation, or that he was the solution to it. We were dead and blind. The Bible says that this is where regeneration comes in. Regeneration happens, or being made new, or being made alive, or being given eyes to see. This is what regeneration or renewal is referencing. Something dead is alive now. So this regeneration, or this being born again, happens through the power of God's Spirit. A miraculous um, power has come upon us to reveal us to these things with respect to the gospel of Christ. So the Spirit in John 16 is the one that convicts us of sin. Without the Spirit, we never would have been. The Spirit is the one in Titus chapter 3 that renewed us and made us alive. So upon faith in Jesus, there is, this is the point, when you put faith in Christ, you have a new resource of power. Okay? And that power gives your heart an affection to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. It is a power that was born in you by the grace of God. Okay? And that power in you has put in you the desire to know, love, and follow Christ. This is what the Bible means by being born again. It's the power in us that wants to know, wants to love, and wants to follow Christ. It's the born-again spirit in us. It's the presence of God himself in 1 Corinthians 6 that energizes us so that we can see this. So when Paul says, walk by the spirit, he is referring 
to that new spirit that the power of the Holy Spirit gives us. Does this make sense? You guys all kind of, your eyes are glossing over. What's he talking about? All right. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is really interesting because what scripture is saying is when you put faith in Jesus, you have a new spirit that sees the beauty of Christ, wants to follow him. That is being that, that the reason it's there is because actually God's presence is with you. But there's also another nature in you, a nature that resists this. And scripture here calls it the flesh. These are the two natures in every believer on this side of heaven. Scripture says that when Christ returns and we are made, we are translated, our bodies are resurrected or changed into his glory, that the flesh is gone. Good news, right? It's just the spirit. The spiritual nature, however, on this side of heaven is at war with the sinful nature. This is Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, and Ephesians. At every moment of life, we must choose to walk by the Spirit, to listen to his influence, to love him, and choose not to listen to the influence or love the flesh. Because these are pitted against the other. We must choose. One, the Spirit is fruit. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold of fruit, right? It's the, the small mustard seed that turns into a large tree. One is fruit, one is harvest, one is life. The other, which is flesh, is just the shadow of death. It is misery. Have you been there? Have you ever been in the flesh? You know what I'm talking about? Can you testify? I've been there. All too many times, unfortunately. The word for flesh in Greek is the word sarx. And we understand this to mean the sinful nature that that continues in us even after faith in Christ it's it's that in us that desires to save ourselves and desires because we desire to save ourselves we desire sin as opposed to the spirit which looks to Christ for our salvation and therefore when we look to him as for our salvation as a gift we desire to be like him and to be holy but as believers, there are still aspects of our heart that are fallen and need to be renewed and transformed by God's presence in us. In verse 17, did you know this? Is it up there? I don't think I put it up there. It says, the flesh is contrary to the spirit. So if you're a Christian, you'll know that this, this is true. There's a sort of contrariness sometimes that exists in you. There's this desire to love, follow, and obey Jesus. But then there's this other, other desire to just, like, punch someone in the face, right? And, and it seems as if there's this war inside of us. Isn't that true? So here's the good news as a Christian. The presence of that battle should indicate to us that we were actually his children. Because if, that, if, if, if the spirit wasn't resisting that, if there wasn't a resistance in, it, in, in you... If there was no spirit, in other words, it would mean that you're not saved. You're not born again. But because that the, your flesh wars against the, the spirit, that's actually good news for you. That actually means that the Holy Spirit has made you alive, that you're, the, that you're a child of God. You see, tension is a good sign. No tension is a bad one. Right? So the flesh is contrary to the spirit. So that in every believer's heart, there, there's a contrariness. There's a conflict of desire. 
It says it like this in Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. You all know what the old self is, right? And I think we all know, like, it needs to get put off. We know that when we put it on, our life becomes miserable. We become difficult. We become hopeless. So we want to shed this off us. Scripture says you can put on the new self and shed the old self. The old self, the flesh, the sinful nature. Before faith in Christ once ruled you completely. That's all you had. But upon faith in Christ, Jesus conquers and he's the winner so that we can always have the victory over the flesh. Always. So that's good news and bad news. Bad news because when we fall into the flesh, it means that we didn't have to, that we chose to. Good news, the same thing. Good news is that we always can have the victory. We don't have to choose the flesh. Upon faith in Jesus, the Spirit enters the heart and begins his renewal and his reign and rule. But what exactly, this is, this is super important, what is exactly the nature of the conflict? What, what is the Spirit warring against the flesh about? Right, to not get us to do like the dark, dirty, sinful deeds that we all think are really awful. It's part, that's part of it, but it's deeper than that. I want to talk a little bit now about what exactly is the nature of the conflict. The conflict between the flesh and the spirit is a conflict of desires. And this is very important. Let's read it again. The flesh desires, you see that? The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So in other words, the spirit desires something, and the flesh desires something, and they are in conflict. So what does the spirit desire, and what does the flesh desire? Let's talk about this, because this is very interesting and very important. The, the flesh's desire is to be under the law. Did you see that? If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, this is really remarkable because it doesn't, when I'm in my flesh, it doesn't feel like to me that what I really want is to be under the law. Because when I hear under the law, I think following rules, being good, right? Doing the Ten Commandments, okay? Isn't that kind of what you think of too? But, but what Paul is saying is that to be influenced by the flesh is to desire to be under the law. And let me explain. It's not as simple as drunken or orgies or polygamy or murder, right? At its root, the flesh wants to be its own savior. That's what it means to be under the law. If you're under the law, it means I can save myself, right? The flesh wants to be its own savior. If there is a problem with me or this world, I'm going to identify what it is, and then I'm going to fix the problem by myself. So at its root, the flesh wants to be its own savior so that, that whatever that savior is will dictate what the rules of, keeping that, of, of honoring that salvation process. The spirit wants Jesus to save. The flesh wants myself to save myself. The Greek word for desire is sometimes translated lust. The flesh lusts against the spirit. Have you heard this before? 
So the Greek word for de desire is sometimes translated lust, and I, lo I love how Dr. Keller translates it. He says that this is over-desire. Over-desire, and this is what he means. It is an all-consuming drive for something. Now follow me. It is an all-consuming drive for something. It is the sense that you must have something. And you can fill in the blank. What must you have? Marriage? Children, relationships, everyone to like you, right? Power, success, and finance. You see, it's this over-desire for something like this. And what have we done? Why do we over-desire it? We have to have it so that we can prove that we're worth something. So what am I saying here? It becomes our God. This thing becomes our Savior. And if we over-desire something under heaven that is God's creation over God, then, then we will live however necessary to get that desire. Does that make sense? To be under the law of that desire. So let's, let's explain a little bit more. Romantic relationships. You ever been in one? Oh, there's so much fun, especially when you're 16. Right? Romantic relationships. Um... I don't know many teenage boys that haven't been at some point infatuated with some beautiful young teen girl, right? Um, and most of the time, I remember being 15, <laughs> right? You know, a, a, a girl's elbow that I thought was just like the prettiest thing on earth, a girl's elbow would touch my elbow like even by accident, and I couldn't move for the rest of the day. Her elbow touched me. Skin touched my skin. <laughs> so teenage boys can become infatuated with, with young women, not because of how they can serve her, but what it would mean of them if that beautiful girl picked me. That's got to mean I'm special, right? That I'm something else if they picked me. It must mean that somehow I'm a complete person in a way that I didn't realize before. So what has she become? She's become my savior. She's become the thing that proves me. She's, she's become the thing that if I have it, then I know that I'm okay, that, that I'm special, right? She's become my savior. She's become an idol. She's an idol that you would over-desire, and that leads to all sorts of sinful behavior. Jealousy, premarital sex, before marriage, so on, all sorts of things. Envy, strife, arguing, fistfights. You looking at my girl? What are you looking at? Hey, you, she was looking at him too, I think. Right, and you get like that. Isn't that true? And the flesh just takes over because I over-desire her instead of giving glory to Christ, looking to Christ as my only savior. You see what's happening? They desire to be under the law. The Bible compares over-desire for certain things to idolatry in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, in verse 5 it says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as an idolater, has in any inheritance with the kingdom of God. What does greed have to do with idolatry? I thought idolatry was like worshipping a wooden statue that you thought was like some god that lived on Mars. No, it's anything that saves you. Anything that completes you. It's not just paganism. In verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, 
and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. The flesh lusts for, over desires for what is contrary to what the spirit desires. And now this is good news because now we learn that, that just as much as the flesh desires something, the new spirit, the new, that which is born again in you also desires something. And it's different. It's a better desire. It is the ultimate desire. It is the one desire that actually can satisfy your every need. So the spirit in, in, in us desires not self-seeking importance through over-desire, not loving more, more than we should the things in this world that aren't really God himself. What does the spirit desire in John chapter 16, verse 14? It says, the spirit, he will glorify me. Jesus is speaking here. The spirit will glorify Christ. All the glory that I gave to all those pretty young things, all the importance that I invested in them was a complete lie. I gave them glory. I gave them my heart. I trusted that they could make me worth something. He's a lot, this is a very common thing for teenage boys. But who can do that according to the spirit? The glory of Christ. Only the glory of Christ. Friends, the heart that over-desires God's creation is the antithesis of a heart that gives glory to Jesus. The Spirit's pleasure and desire is to have eyes for Christ, to give glory for Christ. Sees Christ finally as the one that can complete them, forgive them, save them, everything that they were after. Come to Christ, friends. You see, all the things that we think we need in this world, we don't. We need Christ. I'm not saying that things, when things go sideways and, and things that shouldn't, people sin against us and, or we sin against them, that there isn't a heaviness and a grief. That, that is normal. Those things come along. But what we need most in life to be fixed is our heart's relationship with Christ, to give glory to Christ. So many things can fall apart around us, but a heart that gives glory to Christ is stable and peaceful. Isn't that true? Romans 7 gives us hope <clears throat> in this real battle that we experience in the Christian journey. It tells us that the real us, if you know Christ by faith, the real us is not the flesh us, it's the spirit us. That's the one that wins. That's the real us. The flesh us is just a shadow, an echo of what used to be, that Christ conquered. So much so is the spirit us, the new us, that when the old self, the flesh, the sinful nature, when we over-desire something, we can actually say, that's not really me over-desiring it. That's the old me. And that old me is done. It's conquered. The new me is the Christ in me. I had an experience um, as a 20, young 20-something-year-old, 20 I think I've shared with you, but um, I, fall, I fell into sin. And I, went to, I, was, I was going to seminary at the time, studying to be a pastor, and I felt like I can't do this anymore. I can't continue. I don't even know that I can go back to church, right? Because I, I felt like I just made too many mistakes. And one day I was in my, uh, I had an apartment in Fall River. I was cleaning out my closet, because I can be like that sometimes. I like orderliness, right? So I'm cleaning out my closet, and I find this old no notebook from when I was 16 years old. And it was Bible study notes because I, I taught Bible studies to my classmates when I was in high school. And um, God told me in that moment, that's who you are. 
you are not your old self. You are that new self, that spirit self. So get up. Don't live in guilt. Claim the forgiveness of Christ. That's always been the point to begin with, right? And move on. Gives us hope. If the believer gives in to the over-desires of the flesh to self-save or be under the law, because we can choose to do that, then all havoc ensues. The works of the flesh come on us. And it says this in verse 19. This is what it looks like. When we worship anything but Jesus and give glory to anything but Jesus, we are under the law and our flesh comes out. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we self-save, it results in this chaos. And as Christians, this can happen to us. This chaos can take over. It influences us and corrupts us in varied ways on, a multiple, on multiple different levels. First, we see that the flesh perverts sexuality. <clears throat> this passage gives us three forms um, of what the Bible describes as sexual perversion. The, sir, the first, what they call sexual immorality, is basically it's a general term for, se for sexual intercourse without marriage, real or imagined. Right? So pornography would count as porneia. Right? The second is impurity. Um, and this is basically um, sex with the same gender or other uh, unnatural sexual expressions. The, for, the third um, form that we see here is called debauchery, and that is basically an uncontrolled sexual appetite. It's just anything you can take it out on, you will. When we over-desire these things, we're trying to save ourselves. When we over-desire, for example, romance, we might end up in all sorts of sexual situations that we shouldn't be in. Because our new Lord and Savior is not the Lord, it's a person. Right? And we carry on with it, this darkness. It's as if we were saying, if I have this or that person or this or that experience, I'll be okay. What's broken in me can be fixed. Whatever is wrong with me, I can heal by doing this or that. And it's not the answer. That's not your Savior. Your sexual expression can't save you. Only Jesus can. So the, the gospel says that you're free from the law, and that means you don't have to sleep around anymore to prove yourself, to prove your worth, right? You don't have to prove yourself by, doing, by, by marrying the prettiest girl on earth so that if she breaks up with you, it's okay, move on. Because if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your what? All right. <laughs> the second category of works of the flesh are religious. They call it idolatry and witchcraft. We have referred um, in the past, if you've been following this, um, to idolatry in a broad way, anything that you think can save you, whether it be an idol or, or something else. Um, but this is actually referring to paganism um, because it's coupling it with witchcraft. It's referring to the occult. And it's basically the idea that there are other sort of divine forces of nature out there that can fix what's wrong with the world. Then it moves on to relationships. The flesh corrupts our relationships, and it gives us four attitudes. And you might be able to track with some of these attitudes. You, we probably all have had them at some point in our life and shared them. The first 
it says is selfish ambition, which is basically competitive self-seeking victory. I want to beat you. I want to win. All right? And then envy is when you desire what other people have. You ever do, you ever do that? That's a nice John Deere. Right? <laughs> Jealousy is not only do I want what you have, I don't want you to have it either if I don't have it. Right? That's jealousy. It's not enough that I want other people's possessions. I don't want them to have those possessions. Hatred is hostile feelings or actions towards other people. So you see how these are sort of all kind of interconnected. The over-desire for power, for success, for the applause of men will lead to all of, the, all of this dysfunction in the heart. But when Jesus saves, we don't need any of this. We get his applause. We get his approval. We get his provision. We get the most beautiful being on earth that loves us and chooses us, that calls us his, his bride. We have it all. So there's no need to be jealous or envious of anything or anybody. You see what I mean? When Jesus is our savior, all of this sort of melts away. So these are the attitudes that destroy um, relationships, but there are also actions that he mentions here that destroy relationships. He says discord, right? Or that means to be argumentative or someone that just always has to fight. You ever, have you ever been that person? Where, where you're just in this phase in life where you just always have to contradict anything that anyone says? What, 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 what is that? We've been, we've all been there. You notice how I said, notice how, notice how I didn't say, do you know someone like that? <laughs> right? I want you to think about when you've been like that. What's going on in your heart that you always got to contradict and fight? Fits of rage. Intense outward expressions of inner anger. You know, we never, we're, we're sort of passive aggressive. We don't deal with conflict well. We, we bottle it all up, but then one day it comes out, right? Glasses get, start getting chucked against walls, right? Fits of rage. Dissensions are divisions between people. So now this discord is, is starting to create a division between you and somebody else. You stay over there and I'll stay over here. Divisions, dissensions. Factions are like now you're starting to, to form a crowd in your division. That's what a faction is. So in other words, not only am I divided with you, but I'm getting people to agree with me so that we can all be against you. And you're doing the same. So now it's, now it's, a, now it's a group war. You ever, you ever, has you, have you ever seen that happen in a church? Not me. I've always been told awesome ones that have never made mistakes. <laughs> Factions, warring groups. It's from the word heresy. It refers to group loyalty. And then finally, um, Paul says another influence of the flesh um, is concerning substance abuse. He mentions drunkenness or sex, uh, um, I want to say excessive drinking to be buzzed. Um, I intentionally don't say excessive drinking to be drunk because no one ever admits that they're drunk. Oh, I wasn't drunk, I was buzzed. Okay, do not be buzzed with wine. You know, the, the scripture doesn't say like, you know, it's okay up into 0.07%. It just says don't be drunk with wine. In other words, be in your right mind. And I'm sorry, but I've been buzzed and I've been drunk in both states. I am not in my right mind. I'm not operating the normal way I would. So this, this, fourth, this fourth category has to do with substance abuse. One is drunkenness, and one is, oh my gosh, do I even have to say this in church, orgies. 
I can refer to excess. Listen, it's not what you think it is, okay? It actually means sort of like this excessive communal sensual experience, right? Uh, and by sensual, I don't mean just sexual. I mean anything that, that is arousing the senses. So it can refer to excessive feasting in a community group, right? It refers to a corporate experience of unrestrained sensual gratification. So take these together, what does this mean? It is the unrestrained gratification of sensual pleasure through substances and behaviors, and sometimes in community. We are warned in scripture, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are hard words. I want, I want you to understand that we know from, the, from 1 John that we all sin, we all fall. It's not saying that if you've done any of these or experienced any of these, that you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you're not born again. It's referring to the habitual, and, um, the habitual practice that is not coupled with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, it's not that a Christian can't ever fall into any of these areas, but a Christian will know it. They, they'll know they've fallen. They'll experience a conviction so that it doesn't become a lifestyle, see? The spirit-renewed person might fail in these areas, will fail in these areas, but not without the conflict, the contrariness that the Bible's speaking of. There's this pushing of the spirit against the flesh. So we're told, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, let's close with this. I'm, I'm almost done, just another minute or two. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth in a couple of weeks, what this means. But let me just kind of summarize a little bit right here to give us an encouragement and an application. When we over-desire anything but God, we are walking by the flesh. And we have to recognize it. We have to kill it. We have to say, I am trying to prove myself by this status or this relationship or this accomplishment. And that's why all of this fleshly stuff is getting stirred up in me. This anxiety, this anger, this jealousy. You see, what I'm really doing is I'm putting myself back under the law and I'm not looking at Christ to be my absolute satisfaction and savior. You see? What works of the flesh, might I ask you all, friends, have you found in your heart lately? When we kind of combed through that list, it's kind of a dark, scary list, right? But we all find ourselves in and out of different places in that list from time to time. What, where might your heart be struggling right now with the flesh? Do not lose heart, but walk by the Spirit. Friends, confess it to the Lord who is patient with you and loves you, and know that he is a much better way for you. That's the way of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and so on, right? The way of the Spirit is so much better. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, you're not under the law. You don't need to save yourself. You are free to love and not be in a prison of anger and resentment. Your savior is not a man or a woman or a status, and it's not you. It's Jesus Christ. For the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Oh, friends, if it's planted in you, would you trust in Christ 
and grow and produce a, a harvest of a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your kindness to us. We know, Lord, that the flesh wars against the spirit. We know the places that we can go and the false hopes that we often have. God, I pray, Lord, that we would walk in the spirit, that we would trust that Jesus is Savior and that he loves us completely, that he's done all the work of redemption, that we're adopted into his family, that he is thrilled with us, that he has betrothed himself to us, that he has adopted us into his family. Oh God, I pray, Lord, help us to be able to delight in how you look at us and not how we look at us, not how the world looks at us, but how you look at us so that we can be filled with the fruits of your spirit too. God, we love you. Bless us now as we go. And I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here that needs to give something up, God, that maybe they have a heavy heart and they need prayer. Friend, if that's you, um, I want to pray for you right now. God, would you deliver our brother or our sister from their grief? Would you deliver them from their fear, from their anxiety? God, would you give them their hearts hope? And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you yet, that hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ, would you turn to Christ for your salvation? Trust in him. Cry out to God. God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Jesus is my Savior. He died for me in my place so that I don't have to pay for my own sin, that I don't have to seek salvation from anything under heaven except you. God, I trust that you give it to me as a free gift of grace. Friend, if that's you, the Bible says that you are, you are being renewed by the Spirit. Follow Christ. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. God, um, I pray for the rest of us, Lord, who are facing decisions, wanting to know, should we go left or should we go right? Give us wisdom. And God, give those who are suffering, God, help. Give them strength. And God, let your kingdom come. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.